little while since we've done a table scraps, uh, but buckle in, you're in for a good one. This is Evan Gigline, your host for Table Scraps, and uh, today uh, we're starting a, a long series we're going to be doing on table scraps, and that is a comparison of different Christian denominations. Uh, I haven't calculated out how, how many of these shows we're going to do, but we're going to try and hit all the major ones. Uh, starting off today with uh, the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, joining us uh, for that discussion is Mr. Eddie Kologi, uh, who was a member of the Roman Catholic Church for 51 years before joining the Lutheran Church. And he currently is a member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, where he leads a lay study on the Lutheran Confessions. Welcome, Mr. Kologi. Thank you, Evan. It's good to be here. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to participate in this program, which normally allows only pastors and vicars to enjoy all the fun of discussing theology. Well, we wanted to spread it to you for sure. (laughs) Let's start off with uh, what in theology we sometimes call the formal principle, uh, simply where we get truth. So uh, answer for us, in the Roman Catholic Church, what is the source for truth? in the face of the theology that you just described, uh, taught and, and, and proclaimed uh, what we now know as sola scriptura, what did the Reformers assert? What was the, what was the, the essence of, of this doctrine of sola scriptura? Well, sola scriptura was the cornerstone of the Reformation, the battle cry. Uh, the Reformers asserted that the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament are the only, as they said, the rule and norm for evaluating all teaching and teachers of the faith. Uh, They took seriously St. Paul's words that said that even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is sort of in warning to uh, popes who might in the future want to change um, scriptures. So the Catholic Church then moving away from the scriptures then has over the centuries become rather uh, like the Pharisees in its approach to God's word. Uh, It has added things that were unbiblical such as um, Marian devotion and 
the doctrine of purgatory. Uh, Rome took away things that it should have left alone, too, such as the marriage of priests, and especially the, the comfort and sweetness of the gospel. Uh, just just to be clear, uh, that when when we talk about sola scriptura, we're not then denying all other authorities. We're just saying that it, uh, that the scripture is the only authority uh, which is infallible. Uh, is that right? Uh, that's right. Obviously, uh, tradition and the writings of the church fathers have a big role to play in uh, helping us understand what the Scripture said. Our church fathers, though, were not infallible. They were not always right. They had they they wrote and uh, they were followed by uh, their successors who wrote who who read and then wrote more. And so there's a big body of of um, theology that's been worked out for us by human beings that are beneficial for our teaching and for our learning, but nevertheless, they all stand second, a far second, I might add, to the Holy Scriptures, which are the um, um, prophetic and apostolic Word of God uh, handed down from the beginning of time. Now, uh, Roman Catholics listening to this, uh, what you just said, Mr. Kologi, uh, and it would probably respond to say, uh, that uh, even this Bible, the, the the books that we have in the Bible, uh, were selected by the church. And so, therefore, uh, you can't have the Bible without the church and, therefore, no sola scriptura. Uh, how would you respond to that? <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Um, however, uh, sola scriptura is the, is the unique and complete revelation of God's Word to us. We mean complete revelation. Uh, the Bible was created by God and as God breathed it, as we know. Jesus created his church during his public ministry. It was proclaimed to the world at Pentecost. Um, his work was reported in the scriptures by the apostolic witnesses and others. And the Bible is the inspired record of the church. So the scriptures and the true church are inseparable. Um, God's word existed before there was church councils and bishops. Uh, it wasn't until the, the first centuries after Christ that the church got together and acted under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and uh, they you know, formally uh, put together and selected and assembled the canon of books that we call the scriptures that the Lord Jesus left us. But the point is that scripture cannot be separated from the true church. It cannot be made codependent on anything else, even tradition and the magisterium. So God's Word came first, and that's what scriptures are. And uh, he, Jesus is the one who created the church to carry out his word through those scriptures. Okay, then, uh, having established then where it is uh, that we, we, we come to know our truth and, and what is the, the authority of which we get doctrine, answer then this question, what is the Roman Catholic teaching on justification? In other words, how was one made right before God? This one, this one is a, a lot like um, the question on uh, um, the source of truth, because the first answer sounds like a good one. Um, the Catholics would state, and I'll quote something from their catechism that says, Justification is a free and holy gift from God of total absolution purchased for sinners by the blood of the Lord Jesus. So that, unquote, that, that makes sense. But on the other hand, then they'll come back and point out and say a little bit later, quote, justification establishes cooperation 
between God's grace and man's freedom, unquote. So th- it's this cooperation then which kind of takes back what uh, was said earlier in the, um, the, the, the uh, statement about justification, because this cooperation with God's grace then uh, appears to set limits on God's justification of souls. Um, I mean, I think it's quite obvious then that it's, uh, it, if you're a Catholic, it's necessary to, to do your part to uh, gain your own salvation by good works, penance, and, and indulgences. Um, Catholics believe that um, God gave us an initial grace to kickstart our efforts, but then with the ho- help of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can merit for ourselves and for others all the graces needed for eternal life. So they come right back and say that we've um, been given a holy gift of, of justification, yet at the same time we must cooperate with God's grace and man's freedom. Um, Lutherans would have a different view of this um, um, in the uh, apology to the uh, in, in the apology of the um, uh, Lutheran Confessions. Um, uh, it's written that if justification happens only through the Word and the word is understood only by faith, then it follows that faith justifies. So uh, Lutherans would would vehemently uh, support the statement that we do not cooperate with God. In fact, how can we cooperate when we're dead in our trespasses and sins? Uh, We're in constant rebellion against God. We're nothing. We'll never uh, measure up, so why try? A total difference in positions between the justification, which the Catholic Church says is total absolution in its catechism, but then it puts these strings on them and says we must cooperate with that grace to get that absolution, to get that justification. And uh, um, that's, that uh, creates uh, all kinds of other little issues for Catholics. Out of the Reformation, we uh, got a number of these uh, sola statements. Uh, the, the First, what we've already talked about sola scriptura, that the scriptures are the, the only a source of infallible authority, uh, and then uh, you, you just mentioned uh, faith alone that we're, we're justified by faith alone, um, and by grace alone, and and maybe maybe a, a, a Roman Catholic could have agreed with uh, sola gratia that is grace alone, um, but how would a Lutheran's definition of grace differ from that of a Roman Catholic's definition of grace? Well. Let me let me back up. Let me first uh, do a little comparison then between Catholics and Lutherans on the grace issue, because to do that we have to uh, define the two types of grace that Catholics believe in. Uh, the first one is sanctifying grace. This is uh, they call the continuing or habitual gift of the Spirit uh, to those that are in Christ, living in Christ. Um, then there's actual grace which uh, God gives to us when he intervenes in our lives or when we do something God-pleasing. Okay, so we've got two different kinds we're dealing with. But they say that grace is a gift of the Spirit who justifies and sanctifies us. That's in the Catechism, too. However, then Rome takes it back because they go on later to say that grace, quote, and this is again from the Catechism, that grace enables us to collaborate in the salvation of others and in the growth of the body of Christ, unquote. So here we, you know, we, uh, we um, look at grace as a, a total gift from God on one hand, or the Catholics do, and then they say that we must collaborate in order to get that, uh, in order to um, get the fruits of that grace. 
also, um, um, they all even go on to say that um, when we're moved by the Holy Spirit and charity, we can, and this is their words, merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification and the attainment of eternal life. So, yes, they say they believe in grace alone, yet they believe that their works are uh, then required, that they're meritorious, as we would say, for their salvation and that of others. And they even go on to say that this this uh, uh, merit comes from the, the what they call the treasury of merit that uh, is, is built up from all the good works of the saints in heaven <laughs> and and also Jesus' merits, too, by the way. But uh, so that setting uh, that uh, in, in, uh, on the table here for what uh, Catholics believe grace is, is all about, then we go to the Lutheran side, and the Lutherans would, on the other hand, believe that grace is God's boundless uh, love and mercy shared with his children. And St. Paul clearly makes that known in, uh, when he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So we know as Lutherans that uh, God's grace is a gift, and as we're told in catechism time after, after time, a gift is not something to be uh, earned. So um, faith is uh, bestowed on us because God chooses uh, to do that from his great abundance of grace, love, and mercy, but not because of any merit on our part. Um, Lutherans like to say that the only action that we can take um, in, in response to the Lord's gift of grace is to say, thank you. So that's that's the difference. There's still there's still the collaboration, cooperation, works righteousness issue on the Catholic side of what grace provides and how you get grace. Whereas on the Lutheran side, it's it it we stick to the true definition. Grace is something that's free. It's God given out of His abundance. Uh, a common rebuttal to this, uh, what you just said, and and the assertion that. That uh, salvation and, and justification um, are won by by faith alone and not by our works. Uh, would often cite this verse. It's James 2:20. It says, "But you are willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless." And so this is a verse common pitted against the reformers and even uh, even Lutherans today that uh, you're not saved uh, by faith alone, uh, but by faith and and your works. Um, how do we respond to this? What's the proper understanding of James 2.20? Well, it's not just James 2.20, but it's a few verses before that, too. I think uh, um, three or four verses before that, when there's some pretty strong words that basically support this statement. And this is a, this is a good statement. It's true, by the way. Um, I think what we need to say is that a, a proper understanding of this passage is that uh, faith and works are inseparable. And we should look at them that way, because in other words, faith without works is no better than works without faith. However, faith begets works, but works do not beget faith. Therefore, the Bible teaches us, and we know this, that faith produces those good works, that we, those good works in us that benefit our neighbor who needs them. And uh, God created them, we know from the time, from the beginning of time. Uh, uh, Ephesians uh, 2.10 says that. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, so works, are, works without faith are the filthy rags of Isaiah 64, which says um, all our righteous acts are like, like filthy rags. So our actions do nothing to gain our salvations, our salvation. 
but we should look at works and faith as inseparable. But but uh, there is um, there is one that we we would like to argue comes before the other. But clearly, works and works and faith should be inseparable. You're listening uh, to Table Scraps production of Table Talker Radio. This is part one of a long series uh, looking at. Uh, different Christian denominations. Today we're discussing Roman Catholicism, and we're talking to Mr. Eddie Kologi, who's a member of the Roman Catholic Church for 51 years before joining the Lutheran Church. He is currently a member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, where he leads a lay study on the Lutheran Confessions. Mr. Kologi, um, let's then turn to the, the sacraments. What What are the sacraments in the Catholic Church, and what purpose do they serve in Catholic theology? Well, um, they, they, they serve a big purpose, a major purpose. According to the Catholic doctrine there, they call them efficacious, big word, efficacious signs of grace instituted by Christ, which divine life is dispensed to us via visible rites. So th- they would say that they sanctify us, they build us up, they give, they give worship to God. They would also state that the sacraments strengthen faith and express it. A lot of things the Lutherans would say, not all, but most of them. And they have seven sacraments, um, baptism, confirmation, penance, holy Eucharist, matrimony, holy orders, and extreme unction. Um, they say that uh, applications of the sacraments bear fruit in those who receive them. Um, interestingly enough, um, there is some... You know, there's some contradictions in the Catholic belief here because they, they will assert that for believers, uh, the sacraments are necessary for salvation. However, they, in, in their wordings, in, in their statements, they imply that exceptions for non-believers uh, exist, such as Muslims. For instance, they'll te- they teach that God's plan for salvation includes Muslims because they profess the faith of Abraham. Um, but... Um, Anyway, clearly Muslims don't have access to, uh, faithful Muslims don't have access to Christ's sacraments. Um, and it's a, a little, um, I think, confusing um, in regard to the Catholic Church's position on the sacraments because on one hand they say they're absolutely necessary for salvation. On the other hand they say, well, maybe they're not. But uh, they do play a big role in the Catholic Church's life, particularly baptism and, U- and the Holy Eucharist, uh, which... Uh, we take as of major importance as well. Could you draw that distinction between um, what what you just mentioned the, uh, of Catholic view of sacraments and and maybe how a Lutheran would view uh, the sacraments? Um, basically, um, you know what 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 Lutherans would say is uh, is that sacraments are a, a sacred act instituted by God in which God Himself has joined His Word and promise to a visible element and by which he offers, gives, and seals the forgiveness of sins earned by Christ. So it's a sacred act instituted by Christ, and, they, and we get grace from these, uh, from these sacraments. And, the, and Lutherans would, um, would um, um, extol the virtues of them and, uh, and agree with Catholics that we receive grace and uh, blessings from the sacraments. Of course, we only have two, um, baptism and the Holy Eucharist, um, because of... Uh, of um, you know our, our different understanding of what makes a sacrament, but uh, um, they they are um, definitely sources of grace and thanksgiving for um, all of God's people. 
Okay, let's let's take a closer look at at some of these, namely uh, baptism. What uh, what would a, a Roman Catholic uh, teach and believe about baptism? Well, uh, Rome teaches that baptism removes original sin as well as all actual sins uh, committed up to the time of baptism. Um, they even believe that baptism removes the temporal punishment uh, that would um, um, be assessed against that individual at the time of, uh, at the time of baptism, uh, that the sinner would otherwise have to endure in purgatory. Um, Catholics will go on to say that uh, original sin is a deprivation. Uh, they use that word deprivation of holiness and justice but they also assert that uh, uh, in spite of original sin, that human nature has not been totally corrupted by that first sin. Um, Catholics also maintain that, uh, that baptism erases original sin and even turns uh, man back to God, although his ability to fight evil is, weak, is, um, is weakened. Um, Lutherans would object and say that uh, man is totally corrupt, he can't fight evil. His ability to fight evil on his own is not only weak, but it's non-existent because he is dead in his trespasses and sins. The, the point being that, that um, Catholics uh, give man in his uh, weakened state a little more, um, um, uh, assume a little bit more ability for him to do things for himself than what Lutherans would state, and all of this through baptism. Is this why, uh, when when one reads Luther, you you find in Luther's uh, writings such a great emphasis on baptism? Because in the Lutheran view of understanding that that uh, baptism delivers these gifts of life and salvation, and so that that when uh, we're in the the midst of despair or in uh, uh, in the in the troubles of our sins, that we can go back to that promise given to us the the day that the Lord grafted us into His family and find assurance. Whereas the Catholic, in his view of, of baptism, is is sort of a a fresh start, a starting anew, and maybe an empowering to go forth. But uh, thereafter, it, it really offers uh, a, a no comfort. What do you think? Uh, exactly, it's no comfort, and and, uh, uh, and it's a shame because. Uh, you know, we we as Lutherans know the comfort that baptism gives us. It it, bring, it, be, it uh, brings us into God's family. It makes us children of Christ, and that blessing is, as children of Christ stays with us throughout all of our lives. It never goes away, uh, and uh, we see baptism as more than just a one-time blessing um, by God, but it's something that stays with us forever. And you know, it was something, I believe it wasn't it, um, um, Constantine who uh, uh, waited until his, he was on his deathbed to get uh, baptized because he wanted to make sure that all of his sins and the, uh, uh, punishments from sin were uh, wiped away clean at his deathbed. And he's, obviously he didn't have a good uh, perspective on what baptism would have given him had he been baptized earlier in life and been allowed to enjoy the fruits of being God's child all through his life. Let's then take a look at um, uh, at uh, the Lord's Supper and, and how that is viewed in the Roman Catholic Church, namely the Mass. So what, what's happening at the Lord's Supper in a Roman Catholic Mass? Uh, wow. <laughs> how much time have we got? Yeah. <laughs>
sacrifice. Although Catholics will deny it, they won't use the word recreate or resacrifice, but it, it's hard to deny that's what it is. Uh, the sacrifice, uh, uh, sacrificial aspect of the Mass is clearly indicated in one of the prayers that the priest uh, uh, and, and uh, the priest says, and that uh, is responded to by the Mass participants. Uh, it's, it's called, um, in Catholic circles, the Sashipiat, uh, based on its Latin origins. And in that prayer, the priest says, and I quote, and this is, this is just before the, um, the words of institution, but the priest says, quote, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may become acceptable to God the Father Almighty, unquote. And then the congregation replies with, quote, May the Lord accept the sacrifice of your hands to the praise and glory of his name for our good and the good of all his holy church, unquote. Well, we notice in these words that not only does the priest say, My sacrifice, meaning, um, I would, at least I would argue that his re-sacrifice of Christ is what he's talking about, but he also says, And yours. Um, meaning that the sacrifices of the faithful are joined with Christ's re-sacrifice to participate in the redemption of mankind. Um, uh, with respect to, um, you know, well, the, the, the priest's words of consecration, then, are believed, uh, I mean, just kind of moving on again from those words of the sacrifice, but, but um, the actual words of institution themselves, uh, during that process, the it is believed by Catholics that the physical substance of the bread and wine is changed to Christ's body and blood, uh, where they say it still looks like bread and looks like uh, looks like bread and wine. It tastes like bread and wine, but it's been transformed into um, um, the um, it's been transformed from the, those ordinary elements into the actual body and blood of Christ. And they call this process of transubstantiation, and literally that means changing the substance of the earthly items. Uh, it, it's also fascinating to note that uh, in these words, the Catholics offer uh, the Eucharist to the faithfully departed, and that is those who have died in Christ but have not yet been wholly purified. In other words, they're still sitting in purgatory. Um, so the, the Mass is offered for them, and uh, the Eucharist is also offered in reparation for venial sins of the living and the dead. And this, this contrasts quite a bit with what Lutherans believe. Our scriptural understanding tells us uh, on the bread and wine issue that it remains bread and wine, but, but Christ's body and blood exists uh, in, with, and under the elements. And second, Lutherans would also uh, not accept the, the concept, the doctrine of re-sacrificing of Christ, because as we know, he died once for all. You you mentioned uh, venial sins. Would you describe the distinction, what that means uh, in Roman Catholic theology? What is a venial sin? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, to do that, I probably ought to describe the two different kinds of, uh, of uh, sins, um, the mortal and the venial, uh, because they, they have to look at, be looked at together. The mortal sin is the one that is the grave sin. It meet, has to meet three conditions. Um, uh, that in, basically those three conditions indicate that the person is turned away from God. The first condition is that it must be a grave matter, such as is specified in the Ten Commandments. I don't know what else <laughs> it could be if it's not in the Ten Commandments. But anyway, that's the first one. The second one is that the sin must be committed with a full knowledge of the uh, 
the person. And third, <clears throat> that person has to commit the sin with deliberate consent. Okay, those three things, if they're met, they, they constitute a mortal sin. Well, venial is everything else. Okay, but but venial also venial sins also presuppose that uh, that uh, uh, charity and love for God still exist in the heart of the sinner. So he hasn't turned him turned himself away from um, God as a mortal sin. A person with mortal sin might have uh, uh, on his soul, but um, just the, the venial sin. But anyway, so you, I hope this I hope that answers the question. Oh yeah, very good. So you kind of have this two tier. Uh, seriousness of sin that there are sins who which are are uh, a very big serious deal and, and ones that are ones that are uh, of, of a less less concern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Now now what's so brilliant about uh, what Luther brings out in the Heidelberg Disputation here is that that Luther takes these and, and turns them around so that that uh, when you when you have a sin that you're you're treating as no big deal as trivial then that then becomes a mortal sin because you don't take it seriously. <laughs> And, uh, and and don't confess before God. And those sins that you uh, take seriously and confess before God as being a very big deal, well, then those sins are no big deal. They become venial because they are uh, crucified for uh, crucified uh, on the cross with Christ. So uh, very brilliant what, what Luther does there with that uh, distinction. That, exactly. That, that's just, just brilliance. That's just pure brilliance. What else could I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 we, we talked about it a little bit before, but uh, how do the Lutheran confessions define what a sacrament is? Uh, well, the, yeah, well, as I said, Lutheran confessions uh, clearly state that um, a sacrament is a, a sacred act instituted by God in which God himself has joined his word and promise to a visible element and by which he offers, gives, and seals the forgiveness of sins earned by Christ. So it's, uh, that says it all. It's, uh, it's a source of grace and uh, a source of uh, forgiveness of sins for us um, uh, and, and, and um, in the most beautiful form that God can give it to us. Uh, I, I think um, one of the the main distinctions then um, with, with Lutheran view of sacrament is that that, that uh, for, for the Lutheran, the sacrament uh, is a bestowal of, of these gifts which God has given. Um, there's certainly not an earning of, as you might see in Roman Catholic theology with uh, uh, ex opere operata, the, the, the workings and doings. So my participation in the sacrament uh, gives, gives me uh, grace, uh, um, but, but in, the, in the Lutheran theology that, 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 that these are just means of, of God's grace. Exactly, exactly. A big difference there. Um, uh, again, Lutherans uh, taking the position that it's it's all a gift from God, and we're not uh, by our act of baptism or, or 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 anything else by any actions are we uh, generating or meriting uh, God's favor. That is God's grace. It's uh, it's totally a gift, and and that's something. That's why again, Lutherans should always be saying, "Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord." Let's talk then about uh, uh, end-of-life um, theology. In the Roman Catholic Church, uh, what happens to someone who is in the church after they die, according to their theology? Well, that, that all depends on wh whether the person dies with mortal sin on his soul or venial sin. And we just discussed a little bit ago what mortal and venial is, so if we have those fresh in our mind, 
then it's uh, it's um, it should be noted that uh, when a, a Catholic believes that if he dies with mortal sin on his soul, he goes directly to hell. No no detours. No collecting two hundred dollars. He's gone, <laughs> and um, and uh, <clears throat> he has no no way of recovering his soul. He's turned away from God, and when he dies with that mortal sin on his soul, he's gone. Um, if he dies with venial sin on his soul, uh, he goes to heaven, albeit by way of a detour through purgatory. Uh, and the length of that detour depends on many factors, such as the severity and the number of his sins, the number of prayers and masses said for him by those remaining on earth, and, here's the good one, Christ's willingness to dig into his treasury of merit, where his, uh, all of his deeds, all of his good deeds that he's done, including his sacrifice on the cross, but all those good deeds of the saints who died before us are, st- are stored up, uh, he can take from that treasury of merit and dole them out to the poor residents of purgatory. So um, uh, the point here is that Catholics believe that their sins are forgiven by the priest in the confessional when he acts in God's stead, However, they also believe that there are consequences to sin, and those consequences require purging or purgation via a visit to purgatory. Whereas a Lutheran could come back and say, hey, look, these, these sins, which are sins, um, uh, have, have already been paid for on the cross, that Christ's sacrifice is the, is the atonement for that, uh, for that sin, um, not our um, necessity to be purged in the afterlife. Well, and Catholics will agree, too, that yes, Christ did die once in the, uh, for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And they'll agree with that totally, but they um, then they'll stop and say, but there's always consequences. You know, kind of like the example of the child who playing baseball and breaks his neighbor's window, and then he has to go confess to the neighbor that he broke the window, and, then, and so he's forgiven, but then he's still got consequences of having to pay for the window. You know, that kind of example. That's That's in a trivial form, but or pretty direct form, what Catholics talk about when they say their sins are absolved or they're justified or they're um, 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 purified, not, not purified, but uh, that's what Catholics believe, that, that there is still some temporal uh, uh, temporal punishment due for their sin, even though Christ has shed, the, shed his blood and done what he could to forgive, done all that he did to for, uh, forgive us our sins and take away the total impact of those sins. Uh, one thing that I think is well known um, amongst people who don't really even know a whole lot about theology of the Roman Catholic Church is that, that most of them know that, that Catholics uh, pray to the saints. And uh, I, I'm not sure a Catholic would put it that way. Um, they might say that they you know, petition the saints um, to, to pray for them. Um, that that uh, just as they, and I, and I heard it described to me one time, is just as, you know, I, I ask uh, someone here on earth to pray for me, so they're asking the saints to, to pray for them too. Um, how did the Reformers respond to this assertion? Well, first of all, I will say I don't think Catholics use the word petition. They definitely use the word pray to saints. Oh, okay. Uh, they, uh, But again, their, their version of the saints are those that are in heaven, those that have been canonized, those that have gone through the canonization process. Those are saints. The rest of us, you and I, are not saints. So that when they, when we say that they, they pray to saints, they're they're praying to people who they think are already in heaven and got it made, and they can do something for us and put in a good word for God to God for us. But they'll pray to Saint Joseph for safe passage, for instance. They'll pray to one of the several Saint Teresas for help with blindness, illnesses, and 
and they'll pray to St. Anthony to find lost articles, or St. Blaise is the one they pray, pray to uh, when they need help to cure a throat ailment, and so on. And they even pray to the Mother of Our Lord, asking her to put in a good word with us for, her, uh, for us uh, to her son. Uh, and there, there's a saint for all occasions. Uh, they, they don't often pray to their own loved ones because they're not saints yet. They're still deemed to be in purgatory, and basically they're, they're in need of our help and that we're supposed to offer prayers and, and, and um, good works and, uh, and so forth for them. Um, the Reformers, on the other hand, um, uh, acknowledge that we, we ought to teach the history of these saints. We ought to remember them always as being uh, examples of people with faith who perform good works. And the Reformers rejected the notion of calling upon the saints for help. Uh, they thought that such actions would only uh, turn us away from Christ, who's the one mediator. Uh, he's the atoning sacrifice. He's it for all mankind. Nobody should stand between us and him. Uh, any, any prayer or worship, they thought, that doesn't put Christ at the center and Christ alone was simply false teachings. One of the things that I learned a few years ago in, in hearing talk um, about the Immaculate Conception of the uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, um, I always just had the assumption that they were talking about the conception of, of Jesus, so that that Jesus was, as we affirm in the creeds, uh, born of the of the Virgin Mary. Um, and while while Catholics do affirm this, they do believe that that uh, Jesus was was born of the Virgin Mary. Usually, when they're when they're referring to the Immaculate Conception, they're talking about uh, the the conception of Mary, the mother of our Lord. Um, why in in Roman Catholic theology must Mary be immaculately conceived? Well, that's a very good question. Um, well, in, 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 in to a Catholic in Catholic theology, um, it is believed that only a sinless being. Um, could be good enough to give birth to the Son of the Most High God, um, but it goes it goes it goes further than you just stated because not only do they believe that Mary was immaculately conceived without sin, that is without original sin, but they even extend that further and declare that she never sinned. Um, and it's an idea that uh, came up over many centuries of biblical misinterpretations of Mary's relationship with the Lord Jesus. And these teachings have gotten so strong about Mary that they even led some Catholics uh, to call her the uh, to call her the co-redemptrix with Christ. Uh, clearly, none of this has any basis in Scripture. All right, and and lastly, Mr. Kologi, answer this question: What makes these theological issues, which you and I have just discussed, what makes them so important to discuss, study, and confess? Um, they're important because um, they affect the Christian's view of God. Um, when you start comparing, for instance, Catholics and Lutherans, you, you ask whether one, whether Jesus Christ is the one and only way to heaven, he did it all, and all glory goes to God, or two, whether um, we can add to God's work by our own prayers and good deeds and so forth. Uh, the Catholic view uh, focuses on the law and what we should do to cooperate with Jesus, but we have, uh, but with, with that kind of belief, we never know if we've done enough, prayed enough, or penanced enough. Uh, we never find true comfort and peace in Christ, um, the sweet promises he gives us in his gospel. 
uh, which, uh, which those promises depend in no way on, on us, our disposition, or what we've done, but they, they depend totally on what Christ has done for us out of his gracious love. But the main thing, why it's so important to talk about these things, well, not the main thing, that's the wrong word, but the last thing I want to add is that it's so much fun. <laughs> uh, we lay people, um, uh, some of us, many of us like to enjoy um, studying God's Word and what He has said and what He, and what other, and particularly what other people do to um, either support or denigrate that Word because it makes us all um, better, uh, more knowledgeable Christians, but it also makes us uh, appreciate and love the Lord Jesus even more. So not so because the discussions of theology like this are important uh, to us lay people, um, almost as much as it is for you, um, you folks that are pastors or soon to be pastors. And we, you know, it's it's great to get the chance to talk to you about those things. You've been listening to part one of a series on uh, the comparison of, of of Lutheran teaching and doctrine and other Christian denominations. Uh, today is talking about Roman, the Roman Catholic Church. Our guest has been Mr. E- Mr. Eddie Kologi, who's a who was a member of the Roman Catholic Church for 51 years before joining the Lutheran Church, and he's currently a member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, where he leads a lay study on the Lutheran Confessions. Mr. Kologi, thank you for joining us today on Table Scraps. Thank you for all your good work, Evan. We really appreciate what you do. Thank you. You've been listening to Table Scraps, a production of Table Talk Radio. If you have a comment about what you just heard, we would like to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-SOLA, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Stay tuned for future episodes of this series when we'll be talking about different Christian denominations, trying to hit all the, the major ones. Again, send us an email, questions at Table Talk Radio, or give us a call, one 800 385 SOLA 1-800-385-SOLA See you next time